I am a big fan of action movies. Anybody else out there a big fan of action movies? I like the spy ones, especially with all the gadgets. Mission Impossible is one of my favorite. I've seen them all more than once. I like those. I've told my wife, Jamie, before, you know, honey, I could have been a spy. She laughed like that, too. But seriously, I'm very intuitive. I can read people. I can figure things out pretty quickly. And if we're close enough and I can look into your eyes, I can tell if you're lying. And I'm serious. I I learned this skill a long time ago. I can tell if a person is lying, which is a very important skill to have when raising children. Am I right, parents? Yes. Yes, it is. And I feel bad for my kids because I know when they're lying, and I'm a pastor, and I had an Italian grandmother. Do you realize the amount of guilt that I can put on my kids if I find them lying? Anybody have an Italian grandmother that got the guilt trip a little bit there? So I'm thankful, though, my kids are, you know, angels, sleeping angels at this moment, but they'll be here. Uh, eventually. Um, I think the main reason why I'm not a spy today, one main reason, is that the profession is not a safe profession. I mean, according to the movies, the, the, the spy is always in danger. And, and when he finally gets out of danger, or she gets out of danger, it's like two breaths, and they're jumping right back in, living on the edge again. Am I right? Is that how it usually goes? I'm not interested in that. I like, if I get out of a dangerous situation, I'm going to just savor that for a long time. I'm not going to go back in. I want to feel safe. Is there anyone else that wants to, you like safe and secure. Anyone else prefer that lifestyle? Yeah, that's what I thought. I had this thought too, that the next time someone asks you, which we say this all the time, in, in passing often, or just kind of, a, it's a general statement we say, how are you? And, and usually, you're sort of uh, involuntary response. You don't even think about it. You usually say, oh, I'm great, which is generally a lie. Am I right? But we say it anyway. Or we say, busy. How are you? Busy. No kidding. We're all busy. We're Americans, and we are just constantly on the go. So just don't say those words. I have a suggestion for you. Say something else. Say this. Someone says, how are you? Say, I'm safe and secure. Thank you for asking. See what kind of response you get from that. I I, got to believe that when you say that to someone, that that they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, this this needs further explanation. Like, what, what do you mean? And then you can say to them, I'm safe because Jesus died for me. And I'm secure because God raised Jesus from the dead. And if you say that to them, I'm pretty sure they're never going to ask you another question again. In fact, if they see you coming, they will go the other way. They will pretend, oh, I forgot something. I'm going to go the other way. But seriously, no matter what circumstances you're in in life, no matter what anyone says or has taught you in the past, no person, no sickness, no loss can take away the safety and the security that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the message today. That Jesus died so that you can be safe. 
And Jesus rose from the dead so that you can be secure. Your future, your hope is secure in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is what we celebrate today on Easter Sunday. So as we dive into the word today, let's let's do it with prayer. Will you bow your heads with me as I pray? Father, may your Holy Spirit teach us today. May it enlighten us. May it encourage us. May it give us comfort today, knowing that we are safe and secure because of your Son, Jesus Christ. May your Holy Spirit teach us. And may we know and feel that comfort. May we feel closer to you today, God. And pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said nice and loud. Amen. All right, I love it. There's another question that uh, perhaps you've heard someone ask before. And the question is, are you saved? Are you saved? I remember kind of hearing that question uh, right around the time I think I became a Christian. Or it was maybe even... You know, I started hanging out with other Christians, and I would hear that from time to time, the question, are you saved? Has anybody ever asked you that before? Are you saved? Uh, usually it's someone that's, uh, you know, kind of wants to tell you how they're saved, and then they want to take their Bible and hit you over the head with it to get that, you know, get you saved. That's not how you save people. You don't hit them in the head with the Bible. But I just always thought that was a weird question. Are you saved? It's so vague. I mean, what are you talking about? Am I saved? Saved from what? And of course what they mean is, are you saved you know, from your sin? Um, in, in the fact that sin separates us from God. Now the word saved, even though Christians tend to use it as, a, as sort, of, sort of a biblical term uh, uh, in that sense, it's really not. It's, it's just a word that you know, means, actually I'll tell you what it means, because when you dive into... Uh, the original text of the Bible. So in the New Testament, it was written in Greek. And when you look at the word that's used there, and the word saved actually appears a hundred times or more in the New Testament, and the word is sozo, that's the Greek word. If there's anybody Greek in here, uh, that might be interesting to you. But sozo, and it means saved. Or uh, it, 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 the word is saved, but it actually means, the definition means safe and secure. That's what it means. So when, when, when a Christian asks, or if you ever heard, heard somebody say that, are you saved, what they're really saying is, are you safe and secure? Are you safe and secure? The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest missionaries in the New Testament. If you've ever read the book of Acts, you'll see that he took three big mission trips around the Mediterranean Sea, which to me would have been a great place to do mission work. Because the Mediterranean Sea is beautiful. I mean, they make TV shows about the Mediterranean Sea. So, I mean, he was in a good place to do missions. And he traveled around the Mediterranean Sea, and he would travel into a city. And they call, he's an apostle. Uh, now, he's an apostle with a capital A, but there are the, the gift of apostleship. An apostle is, is basically, in essence, an apostle is an ambassador if you know what an ambassador is, they, they represent your country in a different place. Well, he's representing Jesus in different places. He's an ambassador for the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He's, he's telling the message. And, and he would travel around the Mediterranean Sea to share the good news. And when he would share the good news, kind of like what, you know, what I'm doing here, or, or in just even in, uh, he had a job, too. He was a tent maker. He would make tents and work with leather and 
and, and he had a job. So he would have you know, natural conversations in the marketplace with people, and he would talk one-on-one -on -one with them. But he would inevitably ask that same question. I don't know if he worded it the way I word it today or the way we word it is, but he would, you know, in essence say, are you saved? Are you saved? And if they said no or, you know, what do you mean by that? And he would explain to them how to be saved. And uh, many got saved. When you read the book of Acts, you see that. A lot of people would get saved. And when two or more saved people get together, we call that church. <laughs> Right? I mean, that's what church is, where two or more, it's the body of Christ. So the churches just sprung up. Wherever Paul would go and he would share the gospel, the churches would start. And so one of the big churches in one of the bigger cities of, of Corinth, the city of Corinth, um, the Corinthian church, Paul started that church, spent a lot of time there, and he wrote two letters to them. In the Bible, they're called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Now, history actually shows that there were four letters. Two of them we don't have. But the first and second Corinthians we do have. And the place I want to take you today is in chapter 15 because it pertains to Easter Sunday. It pertains to the resurrection. And if you want to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, you can follow along there. And if you would like a free Bible, those are available in the seats in front of you or in the back by the welcome table. And uh, you're welcome to have a free Bible. In fact, uh, one of the, the cool things we're going to do is we have a, a friend of mine wants to get the word out. He's passionate, and um, he's the one who's provided all of these Bibles. It's sort of his way of, of um, continuing to, to um, share the gospel, and he just wants to get the Bible in the people's hands. And he said to me, called me up a couple of days ago, and he said, hey, what do you think about uh, running, um, you know, I see that sometimes you, you do the Facebook uh, ads. Uh, why don't we do one for getting the Bible out into people's uh, hands? And, and I'll pay for it all. You know, that's, that's his thing. He wants the word. And I said, we can do that. We're already set up. Our website already has a click on free Bible, fill out a form, and we'll get you a free Bible. If people can't come, we'll deliver it. I mean, that's, that's how excited we are and, and dedicated we are to get the Bible. And, and it's great to have my friend Carm, who will, who will do that as well and, and pay for it. So um, we're going to be doing that um, after Easter here, um, getting the Word of God out into people's hands. So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, and he wrote in chapter 15 something that's really important. In fact, it's critical to what we believe. It's critical to what we believe. It starts in verse 1. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, I would remind you, brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand on, and by which you are saved. There's that word. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, Paul is saying, if you truly believe what I'm going to remind you of in a minute here, then you'll be safe and secure. That's what he's saying. And here's what Paul reminded them of. It's uh, the next few verses. He reminded them, verse 3, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, top priority, what I received, the Christ that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 
You see, every time Paul would enter a new city around that Mediterranean Sea, his top priority, first priority, was to explain the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every time he would go into that city and he would explain, Jesus Christ, he is the Christ, the Messiah. All of the Old Testament prophets spoke over 300 different prophecies about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled them. He died, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, as we call it. And then Paul explained to them, by the way, this is how we know Jesus is alive. We have face-to-face proof. Paul lived in a time not far from from the the same um, men and women that knew Jesus face-to-face. And he says in verse 5, Jesus appeared face-to-face to Cephas and then to the 12 disciples, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, and most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he appeared to James, that was his half-brother, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, of one, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. So Paul says Jesus appeared to many people after his death that proved he was raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And Paul points out in verse chapter 15 here, this is the foundation of our faith. This is the core of the gospel. This is what makes you safe and secure. But then he adds this little thing back in verse 2 unless you believed in vain. Unless you didn't really believe what I preached to you the first time. See, there's a lot of people, there were people in Corinth, that believed only what they wanted to believe. You see this today, in our world today. You see people who consider themselves to be Christians but they only believe what they want to believe. They only believe what they want to believe. And it's if it fits their current lifestyle or it matches their opinions. Do you know what I'm talking about here? You know the, the people that I'm referring to, and you might, you might be their neighbor, you might be married to them, you might, they might be in your family. The Bible is a buffet to them. And when you go to a buffet, you don't usually eat everything, do you? Somebody's like, speak for yourself, Pastor. <laughs> but seriously, if it's a buffet, you typically will pick what you like and ignore the rest. And that's typically how people treat the Bible. They pick what they want and they ignore the rest. But the Bible can't be a buffet because Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's all profitable. You you can't just ignore a truth because you don't like it, because it doesn't fit your lifestyle. If God says don't do something and you keep on doing it, what's going to be the result of that? You know how that works if your child does that to you, parents. You don't ignore it. But in Corinth, specifically, there were some Christians that didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that that God would raise 
people from the dead or raised Jesus from the dead. So they believed Jesus was a wonderful human being. Don't know if what they believed about his divinity, but they believed he lived, he died, but they didn't believe he was raised from the dead. And so Paul writes in this chapter to sort of uh, let them know that this is, this is preposterous, this is ridiculous. You, verse 14, he goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we're misrepresenting God altogether. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Well, that's a problem then. Verse 19, if, Christ in, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. I love that verse. Because if, if Christ doesn't die, if Christ isn't buried, if he's not raised from the dead, then we're still lost. We're still separated from God. And we should be pitied if the, if the resurrection didn't really happen. And I'm sure there's lots of people out there that pity us Christians. Have you ever been made fun of because you're a Christian? Because you believe Jesus is alive and you're, you're coming to church on Easter Sunday because Jesus is alive and that's exciting? But to many people, we're pretty ignorant for believing that. And this is, this is, this is something that, that comes out and, and is a reality. And maybe you've never been there, maybe you've never had a conversation, maybe no one ever said you were ignorant or anything like that, but it happens. In fact, it just happened. I put a, a video out on Facebook to invite people to come to church, to, to, to let them know that there is a, a, a Bible-believing church here in St. Clair Shores, Life of Purpose, wants you to come out and, and experience and get closer to God. Um, and, and experience, you know, and talk about the resurrection of Christ. Well, I put the video out there, and, and time to time I get comments. And they're not always nice comments. But I leave them out there because I want the community to see what people are saying and how I respond to the comments. And so the comment was, um, well, first of all, I could tell that this particular individual was a really smart uh, guy because he used really big words uh, when he commented. And, uh, but basically, he told me that I was, uh, that we, really, as Christians, are ignorant to believe that Jesus was actually a real person. In essence, Jesus is fictional. And, and I commented back to make sure I understood and to clarify. So what you're saying is, is that Jesus is fictional, and, and I am ignorant for that. Um, and then he confirmed that, and so then I commented back, um, in a way that a Christian should, I said, uh, may the Lord, good Lord strike you down the next time there's a thunderstorm. <laughs> I'm totally kidding, I did not say that. I actually commented, my hope is that even the ignorant and the really smart people will have their eyes open to the truth. Now, of course, he commented back to say, Again, how smart he was and how ignorant us Christians are. But I just hope he's smart enough to realize that I was talking about him as needing his eyes opened to the truth. And I'm always aware that other people are reading that to see how Christians respond when we are faced with persecution. People will always think that we're ignorant because we believe Jesus is alive. 
And I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that if people think you're ignorant? They can think what they want. But the truth is, we are not ignorant. In fact, we, we have faith that he is alive, and we can defend our faith. We can defend our faith. By the way, do you know that atheists, those that don't believe that God exists, did you know that atheists also have faith? In fact, they have to have more faith than we do. They, they have faith that there isn't a God. And here's just a little tip for you. If you've ever had a conversation or if you know an atheist and they keep telling you to prove there is a God, just turn it right back on them and say, well, prove there isn't a God. Because we're both, the reality is that neither of us can do that. We can't do that. That's why both beliefs require faith. And one of my favorite books on this subject is called I Don't Have the Faith to Be an Atheist by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. Wonderful book. But what they're saying is, and they show, is that I don't have that much faith <laughs> to be an atheist. There's way more evidence for the existence of God than against. Now, another great resource for proving Jesus is alive is the wonderful book called The Case for Christ. Lee Strobel wrote The Case for Christ. And if you read that, I promise your faith will be strengthened. And I promise you'll love his story. Because Lee Strobel used to be an atheist. Isn't that fascinating? In fact, his words, he says, it was the worst news that I could get as an atheist. What happened in his life is, is he is his agnostic. Now, agnostic means you believe there is a God, but you don't believe the that God is involved at all in, in, our, in, our, in your life or anything. He's out there, maybe, but don't really know much about it. So his agnostic wife became a Christian. And he thought to himself two words. The first was a swear word. The second was divorce. His wife became a Christian. He's an atheist. He thought, as he said, I thought she was going to turn into a self-righteous holy roller. But over the following months, he was intrigued by the positive changes in her character and values. And so he decided to take his journalism and his legal training, because he was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, and he decided to go on a journey and systematically investigate whether there's any credibility to Christianity. And he quickly realized that the key to this was the resurrection of Jesus. Was that true or not? Because he says, if anyone claims to be divine, that they can do that. Anyone can claim that. But if Jesus backs up the claim and returns from the dead, well, that's pretty darn good evidence that he's telling the truth. And so for two years, he investigated, interviewed, just explored the, the, the historical data on whether or not Easter was a myth or a reality. And he didn't take the New Testament as, as the gospel, as we say, or as truth, he just, he looked at it all, historically. And as his investigation unfolded, his atheism began to buckle. And in the end, after thoroughly investigating the matter, he reached an unexpected conclusion. It would take more faith to maintain his atheism than to become a follower of Jesus. And today, Lee Strobel celebrates his 41st Easter as a Christian. Isn't that amazing? He went from an atheist to a Christian because he investigated the evidence. Now, for me personally, one of the reasons that I believe that Jesus is alive is the actions of the disciples. If you were here this week 
On Wednesday, we looked at the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus' prayer. Then on Friday, our Good Friday service, we looked at the, the actions of the disciples in response to Jesus being arrested. And what happened when Jesus got arrested? What did the disciples do? They ran. They fled. They were living in fear. In fact, you go on and keep reading, and you find out that they, they hide in an upper room. They lock the door after Jesus is crucified. And they're hiding. And what should they have done after that? They should have gone back to their old lives. Christianity should have died 2,000 years ago because these guys were living in fear. But then something changed drastically. Their actions. They stopped living in fear. They stopped hiding in an upper room. Instead, they became bold as ever. So bold they were willing to die for Jesus. They came out of hiding, preached the resurrection. Why would they do that if Jesus wasn't alive? If they didn't see Jesus face to face, why would they do that? They wouldn't. They wouldn't. And that's always been one of the greatest proofs, I feel, is the actions of the disciples that Jesus is alive. And when you believe Jesus is alive, when you get to that point and you settle in on that and you say, you know what, Jesus, he is God, he died, he was buried, but God raised him from the dead, and he's alive, two questions will naturally come up. Two questions. First is, well, if he rose from the dead, what kind of body did he have? Did he have the same body, the one that was beaten and, and, and whipped and bloody? Did he have that body? Is that the body he was rocking around with? Did he still have the crown of thorns on his head? Like, what, what kind of body did he have? Well, Paul explains in verse 40. In verse 40, Paul says that there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. And if you go home and read it for yourself, 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see that this heavenly body is way better than the earthly body. And it's way different. And then if you think about that and you settle on, okay, Jesus had a different body, then you'll ask the second question, which is, if he got a new body, if Jesus received a new body, then when Christians are resurrected, will we also have a new body like Jesus? And Paul says in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the first man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven who is Jesus. So we'll be given this heavenly body free from sin, free from aches and pains, free from the old age and death, a body that's going to last forever. And then we'll be able to say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A woman suffering from a chronic illness, in pain daily, Whenever someone asked her, how bad is your pain today? She would respond, nothing, the resurrection won't cure. And that's the hope that we have. That we are safe and secure. Why is there comfort in being a Christian today? Why do, why do we have so much joy on Easter Sunday? Why are we so excited that Jesus is alive? Because we are safe and we are secure. We are safe. Our sins are forgiven. Jesus died for us, sacrificed his body, shed his blood. His death makes us safe. 
And our future resurrected body is waiting for us. If Jesus got a new body, we're going to get a new body. And that resurrection makes us secure. We are safe and secure. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. And we are blessed. Unbelievably blessed. And if you don't know how blessed you are, I'm going to ask my wife to come up here and tell you and sing to you how blessed you are. We have a, a special song, and you can just thank God and praise God that you are blessed, that you are safe and secure because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us see that clearly today, that we are blessed, that we are safe and secure because of your son, Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would, we would have it settled in our mind, settled in our heart, in our soul, that you have a body prepared for us, a heavenly body, and that someday... We will spend eternity with you, with a perfect body, all because of your son, Jesus Christ. To him be all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.